Reformed and Confessional exists to promote Reformed Confessionalism, to proclaim the sufficiency of Scripture, and to extol the supremacy of Christ over all things. I'm Nick Myers. And I'm John Fry. Thank you so much, and welcome back once again, Nick. It's really great to see you on this early morning. It is good to see you too, brother. It's been a little while. It has been a while. Uh, so, you know, for those of you that don't know, I have just completed a move across the world, about 8,000 miles. So Nick and I are really excited to uh, hopefully get back on our rhythm and routine. Yeah, well, thankfully we're not a uh, 14-hour difference anymore. We're just, we're same time zone. We are the same time zone, <laughs> so we're both drinking coffee at the same time. Hey, um, with that, back in March, we had an episode uh, that was Family Worship Part 2, and we have launched into our series on the Ten Commandments, which we're excited to keep going and rolling. But today we're going to go back, and we made a commitment to work through the Directory of Private Worship. More specifically, back that March episode, we gave a general overview and some challenges as well as some resources for family worship. Today, we're just going to look at one paragraph of the Directory of Private Worship, and hopefully we come out encouraging pastors and parents, parishioners, and individuals who are prospective pastors, parents, and looking for encouragement, looking for maybe Nick and I do and don't do well as in our own private study time, but also as we strive to lead our family for the glory of God. But real quick, before we get started, I wanted to shout out to Caleb Roddy. He was our brother in Christ down in St. Mary's, Georgia for the intro and outro music. Caleb, we appreciate your hard work on that. And if you find yourselves down on the border of Georgia and Florida, swing by there at Awakening Church in St. Mary's, Georgia for some faithful worship. Caleb, thank you so much for your time and devotion for helping us on this endeavor. All right, so Nick, I'm going to put yeah. you on, this, on the spotlight here. Um, what what we're looking at is the directory of private or family worship, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you to read this first paragraph. And again, if you're not familiar with this, you can go back to our March episode and uh, take a listen there. We encourage you to do that. So go ahead and read this paragraph, Nick, if you will. And when you do that, uh, I'm going to ask you if you will let us know what your personal and private worship habits are uh, when yeah. you wake up in the morning. What does it look like in your world, brother? So, uh, just so before I read it, just so everybody knows, there's a couple versions, and and they're not like different meanings, but just updated language. I'm going to read the updated version just so it's more palatable to our 21st century ears. Here, jumping in, and the and first for secret worship. So it it goes like this in paragraph one, and they write, and first for secret worship, it is most necessary that everyone take part in private prayer and meditation. This practice brings benefits that are impossible to describe of and which are only fully appreciated by those who are most careful to put it into practice. This is the means whereby, in a special way, one communes with God and is properly prepared for the Christian life. Therefore, it is necessary that pastors encourage everybody to this practice, morning and evening, and at other times as well. But it is also the duty of the head of every family to take good care that both they themselves and those in their care are diligent in this practice every day. What I what I think is so fascinating is the fact that they just after they give their after they give their introduction and they they're encouraging and they're saying you you have to do this it's sinful not to do this assuming that people are going to going to worship because that's just the normal state of a Christian's life they start with prayer 
that they, they start this instruction off with prayer. And I think that's really significant. And it puts in, in, it puts in the right spot in the Christian life prayer, right? This is the most important thing, your communion with the Lord on a daily basis, on a, on a basis where multiple times a day you are meeting with the Lord, as they say here, morning and evening and other times as well. So I think that's, I think it's just as a small point, what were they thinking? What were these writers of this, of this directory thinking? They're thinking, what's the most important thing? What do we need to hit on first? Oh, that's prayer, right? How, what is our prayer life look like? So that's, that's something that I, that I think is for us to get in our minds. What am I doing when I wake up? What am I doing before I go to sleep? What am I doing with my wife and my children? What are the pastors doing with their congregations? Are we praying? All right. So a quick sketch of my private devotional life, private prayer life. And this isn't to say that this is the only way, the best way. Um, This is just a way that I've found that I believe is faithful. That is something that is accommodating to, to my life and schedule. Something that I think the Lord is pleased by. My efforts do not always work out as I'd like them to. I don't always wake up when I'd like to, but but basically, uh, simply put, I schedule every morning to wake up around 4.30 in the morning, which to some people who are not morning <laughs> morning people are going to be like, that is gross and <laughs> sounds painful. Uh, and both of those things are true. It is painful, but you know, there is an aspect of denying oneself when we go to the Lord, when we, when we, when we structure our lives around worshiping God. And there's an aspect of self-denial, of putting our own desires away, taking up our cross daily. And that means denying our bodily wants. It means denying staying <laughs> in bed, <laughs> staying in the warmth of the, under the warmth of the comforter. You know, we kind of, we got to get up and worship the Lord. Now for me, with a wife and four kids, um, if I don't get up in the morning, I'm really probably not going to have time to do it for the rest of the day. So it's up at 4.30. It's getting the, so it's getting the coffee made. And really, my goal is to read a chapter in the Old Testament, a psalm, a proverb, and a chapter in the New Testament. And then if there's any other study that I can fit in before I go to work, right, that's icing on the cake. So this is, so, so basically how it looks is waking up in the morning, sitting down, thanking the Lord for waking me. I lay down, slept, and woke again because the Lord sustains my life. Right, this is my this is my great show of gratitude to God, and I read His Word, and then I pray really through through the Word, through the Psalms, usually you know confessing sins and asking Him to bless me, my family, my day, and then if I have time, uh, this is when I'm going to read through other books, when I'm going to prepare for counseling, when I'm going to uh, record for the Bible has feet or write a blog or or something like that. But really, my main, personally, like, and I'm sure that other people struggle with this also, if I just jump into like a book, I feel kind of like I'm, like I'm cheating on the Lord almost, like, oh, I didn't read his word, I didn't commune with him, I'm reading these substandard things, and I'm not going to his word first. And I don't know if you struggle with that at all, John, but that's kind of like a thing that I'm like, oh, if I didn't read the word first, but I read another book, I'm like, oh, I didn't really, my day was kind of less than it ought to have been. But privately that's that's how it looks so i'm trying to feed myself the delicious ribeye and lobster of the word of god and wash it down with a glorious glass of white zinfandel and some chocolate cake afterward with prayer and and reading this delightful book that i have in front of me and that's how i think about it too this is a wonderful 
you know, five course meal that I get to enjoy every morning and evening with my family. So just, that's just a brief sketch up early, reading the word, getting ready for the day. And usually just have a, usually tired, (laughs) but that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I want to encourage people listening that it takes practice to get up early. And if you, you know, you think you can't, you don't have to do it super early in the morning, but you do want to devote yourself to the Lord daily. You can condition yourself and just maybe wake up 10 minutes earlier for a Mm -hmm. week and then 10 more minutes earlier until you get to where you think you have adequate time before you start your daily routine. And I know, I mean, I've watched, I've watched Nick, I've watched you grow through that. So that's exciting. And, and yeah, I have felt that tension. I think there's pressure, especially when you listen to just men of God who, one, they're, they're full-time pastors and full-time ministers and you, you know, you really respect them. So I usually start my morning, uh, I'll break the ice on my habits. I usually start my morning and I'll, I'll go through a little more detailed, but at some point I've been for several months listening to Alistair Begg preach the way that his ministry lays out his sermons. It's about 20 to 25 minutes a piece. So that's really good. It coincides well with my morning routine, but that man is way smarter than me. And people like him who I love and revere, sometimes there's a pressure to be really well read. And when I say pressure, like a self-imposed pressure to be really well read and new books are always coming out. And then of course you look at the old books that are already out and the, the commentaries and the sistios. And yeah, I, I share that sentiment with you that if I have to neglect something, I don't want it to be reading the word of God mm-hmm. uh, because really, you know, we're, we're talking the inspired writings of the Holy Spirit versus the um, men who are fallible. And, and I want to be, um, you know, I love reading some Jay Adams. I really do. But uh, when it comes to chosen men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit or, or something else, I'm going to, I'm not going to prioritize the something else. So that was, um, that was just kind of my response. And one, I want to say you made a great observation there that of first things they said when it comes to private worship, the, the prioritization of prayer. And for a long time, I think I struggled in, I guess, you know, when I say silent prayers, my mind wanders. And I think we can probably all say amen. And it wasn't until I read a good chunk of a book by Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And my habit uh, several years ago was if I had a balance of reading the word and prayer, I would far outweigh that balance of reading the word. I would read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible three times as much as I would pray. And what he had suggested was not to separate those two. If we think about what the Bible is, it's the word of God. It's God speaking to us through his word. And what is prayer? It's us speaking to God through the sacrifice of Christ, through intercession, and it's a conversation. What I realized I had done for years was separate the two. And what what I hoped to, to do was grow in maturity and grow in prayer. And what I did is got a journal. I got a prayer journal to write my prayers down, and I followed a very simple format uh, to help me not stray, to help me get on the right track. P-R-A-Y. I, I still follow it years later. P is just praise God. You know, when we see that in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And that's where I start with, with all the great things and just praise God for who he is and his love for me, sustaining life, especially when it's early in the morning that I have a new day of life. 
I remember my mother praying that many times growing up, thanking God for waking us and giving us a new day of life. And then R would be repent, just come before the Lord, confess what he already knows to be true, agree with him that I in some way have sinned. Sometimes those are hidden, sometimes those are presumptuous, sometimes my repentance looks more like Psalm 139. I'm asking the Lord to search my heart and mind if there's any wicked way within me. And other times there are, there are things where I come before the Lord and ask specifically that, you know, he would He would forgive. And I'm thankful. Again, those two kind of go together because when you repent and you ask God for forgiveness, he gives it and he promises to. And so that's another reason to go back to the P and praise him. And then the A would be anyone else. That's where it's a time of intercessory prayer. I was speaking with my father-in-law recently and I said, you know, the past few years have really learned if you take prayer seriously, it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's because as your your sphere of influence, your circle of life, the longer you live, the more people you meet, the more things there are to pray about. And then lastly would be why, you know, praying for yourself and following that pattern, not to wax on too long, but that has really helped me. And so I'm not rigid with it, but there'll be some kind of exchange between I'll start my prayer journal, I'll go to the scripture. Usually I'll start with the scripture, God talking to me, and then kind of like what Donald Whitney suggested, meditate on that, think about what the Lord has put before me, and and then talk back to him through prayer. And that that's that's really helped me, I think, grow. And I had to have that journal there to keep me going, to keep my mind from drifting, and, and it works. And I really like the prayer journal because I can open it, and I get instant feedback on the vitality of prayer in my life. You know, when I've been consistent, it's not that I don't ever pray not using a prayer journal. It's just that when I do, two things I like. I can go back and say, well, I've been very consistent or I've been very inconsistent. So I have instant feedback of my discipline or lack thereof. But also it becomes a personal ledger. It's like the tome of God's faithfulness to me. And I so that that's kind of what it would look like. And one other thing, what I've been doing since last October is a Bible reading plan. Uh, some folks have been doing those for years. I usually just work through books of the Bible, kind of one right after another for a long time, but I've been doing the To the Word Bible Reading Challenge. It's on the Bible app, and I like that. I will tell you, it has you going through the entire Bible in 264 days. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit behind, but I've been keeping pace, but I, I encourage people to do that. You don't have to, but also these these timelines, the 264 days, uh, they're artificial, right? And my wife and I have discussed our goal is not necessarily to get through the Bible in 264 days or in a year. It's just to to get through the Word of God because we want to know God's whole counsel and how it applies to our life. So having that plan, though, in front of me lays it out for me. That's great. That's just, you know, a little bit of structure that's helped my personal private worship. So yeah, I, I know I waxed on there for a little bit. That's good, That's good, brother. Yeah, we'll get to some more exciting stuff here. Uh, but we just want to encourage folks, start somewhere. You know, it might not be getting up at 430. It might not be in, uh, a 264-day Bible reading plan. But the Lord has been faithful, and we know that He's He's certainly given us the example of a, of a life dedicated to prayer in His earthly ministry. And this directory for private worship, things of first order, is, is prayer and communion with God. So uh, with that... What we're going to do is just kind of go line upon line, maybe maybe spend a few minutes on about five major bullet points here through this paragraph, 
And the goal here would be to be, you know, certainly we want to be encouraging. We want to be challenging. And uh, we're going to come at this from a Reformed and confessional perspective. So with that, Nick, I'm going to pass it over to you and let you get us kicked off on going through the first paragraph of the Directory for Family Worship. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks, John. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> before I get into that, it's I think it's good to set our set of definition of foundation. So the so the divines also in their in their shorter catechism, question one seventy eight, what is prayer? They were, they asked the question, what is prayer? And the answer is prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of the, of His Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. That's good to put in front of us so that we can know what we're doing when we pray. Now, a question, let's see, a question that they don't ask here necessarily is, is what, really, what effect does prayer have on us? What effect does prayer have on our hearts, on our minds? So, prayer changes us, right? When we pray, we're not changing the sovereign God. We're changing our own outlook and mind about what the what the Word of God says. We're conforming ourselves. We are, we are conforming ourselves through prayer, the means of prayer, and by the help of the Holy Spirit to be in conformity with the Lord's Word. So prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, which is comforting. I can go to God with my desires? Yes, you absolutely can. You read in the Psalms, all the time, David goes with his desires. Paul goes to God with his desires. This is, this, is a, this is a fundamental reality of the Bible. In the name of Christ, which would indicate going in the name of is, is with, his, with his acceptance, with, with Christ being and his will being there at the sub, as the sum and substance of our prayers, is what we're praying for in conformity with his will, with the name of Christ, by the help of the Spirit, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. All right, so we have this reality. I go to God with my desires, whether they be biblical or not. Have those desires conformed to His will, to His name, in the help, uh, in the name of Christ. The Spirit helps us do this. We confess our sins, and we acknowledge with great gratitude the mercies that we've received from His hand. So I bring that up just because it's important to know. Okay, so so they're telling us to pray. The divines are telling us to pray uh, in this directory, and what does that mean? What does that look like? First thing they say is, and first, for secret worship, it is most necessary that everyone take part in private prayer and meditation. Now, this everyone, they mean everyone. They mean, now this is the directory of private private worship, private prayer, and later on they talk about children, they talk about bringing them under, helping them do this. So everyone being, partaking in private prayer and meditation is crucial. So what's Firstly, crucial, like we're talking about, we're, we're telling you guys our, our our methods of the way that we worship the Lord in the morning, the way that we do private worship. And that's important that me and John, as heads of our house, that we do this, that we feed ourselves. Because it's like a, if you've ever flown a plane, it's like, uh, secure your mats before securing others. Uh, this, is, this is the way it has to be, right? I have to, I have to feed myself so that then I can go and feed my children, feed my wife. So training children to pray is something that is very crucial. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the hope is, right, this isn't a a, a cut in stone, a set in stone, like he will absolutely not depart from it. But we have this 
we have this promise from God that if we're if we teach our children faithfulness, they will abound and stay within that groove of faithfulness. So Nick, I want to share yeah. real quick that uh, what I just shared that acronym of P R A Y mm-hmm. that was in like a uh, a study Bible. It was the first I remember. It's called Extreme Teen Study Bible, <laughs> and it was a New King James version. I've and, seen that study Bible. Yeah, and and I think. Uh, I wish I knew the page, but that P-R-A-Y was either at the end or the beginning of the book of Job, and, and it suggested how you pray. Oh, wow. And that was, um, that stuck with me. Uh, I mean, this is literally 25 plus years later. That was the fruit of my mama trying to train a child in the way he should go. Yeah. And uh, and I, and the Lord has faithfully helped that little tidbit stick in that that old study Bible. So anyway, that that this is a nice uh, anecdote from exactly what you're discussing. Well, that and see that that's like that's encouraging to me, right? Because because I didn't have parents who did that, and so seeing you as somebody who was trained by a, a godly mother, and that you now in your 30s, you know, that you still remember that. That's that's so encouraging to me that God has been faithful to both her efforts and to your to your spirit the whole time, to your mind. That's really, so thank you. Um, so first of all, our children are children, right? They are little people who are growing and they're distracted and they're everywhere and they're energetic and, you know, they are oftentimes undisciplined and, you know, so trying to discipline them, trying to trying to set before them spiritual disciplines and say, this is what, this is when we pray, this is how we pray. So, so teaching children to pray and is important and at the first i think it's important to teach them to train them like there are specific times when we pray so like every time before we eat this is when we pray so they can set prayer in like in a time frame so they set prayer so we set prayer at a time like okay before we eat this is when we pray so they can be reminded before we go to bed this is when we do family worship and pray when we wake up and have breakfast, this is when we pray with, with mommy and daddy. You know, by the way, just about that, my son the other day came over and he said, he said, daddy, I have a really, I have a question that I'm a little bit embarrassed to ask you about. I was like, what? You don't need to be embarrassed to ask me anything. And he said, well, since I'm seven, I'm getting older. Can I call you dad? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can call me dad. And he was like, thanks dad okay and i was like what? it was just so awkward it, not awkward but i was like oh the the years of daddy are over <laughs> mm-hmm. it, just like that anyway so it's sweet you asked your permission yeah it was it was pretty wonderful <laughs> and sad at the same time um but that's just the way it goes so like for instance my wife and i we had, it just kind of came about this way there's like this very stock um, rigid prayer that all of our kids have learned. And I didn't teach it to them. It's just something that they, that I think my oldest son just devised and all the other children have just said it. It's like, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this house. Thank you for this food. Thank you that we can love you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So like, and that's like, and they'll pray that same exact prayer every night before dinner. And so my daughter now, who's almost three, she prays that and she just from her hearing it over and over and over and now to the point to where she's like oh i want to pray that so so training children to pray to meditate to partake in private prayer 
is is crucial. And so now, after seven years of life, my oldest son, you know, when he's sick, he'll come to me and be like, Daddy, I prayed that the Lord would help me to be better. I'm like, wonderful. This is this is great. Okay, so, but this has taken nearly a decade, right? It's taken seven years for him to get to this point, hearing me and my wife pray over and over and over again. And so setting the expectations for children, I think is we need to have the bar really low. Not with no expectations, but 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 take into consideration, be gentle and gracious to their station, their children. They they are intelligent, but they know nothing. And they need to be taught this and trained this this way. Um, so you know, that's what I would say, right? The first part let me just read it again. It is most necessary that everyone partakes in private prayer and meditation. And people might read that and say, well, how on earth do these little children do that? And the way they do that is by the parents doing the hard work of consistently praying with their children, for their children, modeling this for them, showing them what it's like, what it means to go before the Lord, how important it is. And then, well, for that to be the case, the mother and father have to be have to be faithful themselves, right? Because if it's a drudgery, you're going to give up. If it's something you don't want to do, you're going to throw in the towel. If you're not really close to the Lord, it's not going to be important to you. And so you you must, you absolutely must be drawing near to the Lord yourself as a, as a mother and father in order to train your children to do the very same. And so this first part is really a call to arms. It's a call to action. It's a call for parents to be these disciplined, faithful people. Not perfect, not sinless, disciplined and faithful for for everyone to be partaking in this. And we'll see later uh, that John, I think, will get to about the blessings that come from this prayer. Before I move on to the next line, in Luke 11, uh, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And that's, that's one thing the Directory of Private Worship does later on than where we are today. But those who are weak in prayer, what is what is the parent to do? Teach them to pray. And it's funny because we kind of have developed uh, a similar prayer. I didn't know that until now about <laughs> what your children run. But same, my oldest has a, you know, it's something, uh, you know, basically uh, the word wonderful sticks to me but sticks out to me thank you for this wonderful day uh, mm-hmm. is one of the one of the items and the younger has picked right up on that and when it's her turn to pray that's that's what they say but the the encouragement is that uh we're we're all uh, a work in progress and i think the word that i would say from what you said is intentionality yeah teaching them to pray and what we've really focused on is the praise aspect and um, that that God's name is holy and sacred, His character and ways are perfect and right, and everything that we have is because of His grace and recognizing that. And that's kind of what our focus has been on on these early years. So the next part, uh, I find some irony in my task right now. <laughs> it's to explain the excellent benefits of prayer. <laughs> and I laugh because what the directory says... <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> is this practice brings benefits that are impossible to describe, and yet here I am trying to describe them. Uh, 
So yeah, the next line is this practice bring benefits. Uh, this practice brings benefits that are impossible to describe and which are only fully appreciated by those who are most careful to put it into practice. And so I won't wax long on what's impossible to describe, but <laughs> the excellent benefits of this prayer. Here's here's the challenge that I have as we try to teach our children to pray, is that God is not a wish list and the way that I think of it in our culture, God is not Santa Claus who we write to when we need something. And I want to say that, and I really want to balance that with scripture. We see requests being made, throne of grace before God. I'm not saying that we can't bring our requests before God. We are commanded to, we are encouraged to, but it's exactly what you said, Nick. It's that we are bringing our will in prayer, we are actively seeking conformity to God's will. And in if I could flesh out sanctification, that's what sanctification looks like, is that I have my will that is clothed and coated in my flesh, and I'm coming before the throne of grace and the throne of God, and in the model after what Jesus said three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, God hears my will, Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. And so as I make my request to him, I come and I would say, Lord, this is my desire, but you are the one who is all-knowing, and you promise that you are good and you do good, and you work all things to good for me on my behalf. And so if my desire is not what is in your plan I don't want it. And I think that is probably what prayer has taught me, these these undescribable benefits. One, it's humbling. There's just a humbleness, and it's a reminder of how reliant I am on the Lord. There's a sweetness of communion with God, and a, I I would say a confidence that the Lord is for me and with me, and that He's going before me in my day. But also... I've come to see in in prayer that when I come before God, the more I walk with Him, the more my prayer is less of, God, here's my desire, and more of, God, I want your desire. And sometimes that's harder than others, but I think that it is important, and this is experientially, I observe the content of prayer often tends to be coming to God with, I want this, please make this happen, make this and this and this. And I think our requests are a part of prayer. But certainly if we're looking at the Lord's prayer, when Jesus responded in Luke uh, chapter 11, he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, it's okay to make our requests known unto God. We're encouraged to. But prayer is also the the recognition of God's holiness, of the presence of His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It is the confession and the repentance of sins. It is the intercession for other saints and the salvation of those who are not believers. And then it's the realization that my heart needs some work that lord i'm coming to you for forgiveness help me to forgive others because it's my christian duty as we would see six chapters later in luke 17 
And then lastly, lead us not to temptation. So the content, if we're fleshing it out of what Christ gives us a model prayer, it contains more than just our wish list, as it were. So I, I've hmm. tried hard here to labor the fact that I, I don't want to prevent people from asking the Lord for for His divine providence and care for our desires. But what I'm cautioning folks about, especially when you're teaching your kids, uh, you know, is that we're trying to teach them that prayer, one of the great benefits is it teaches us a reliance on God and it's a sanctifying process for the Lord through prayer, conforming our will to His will. And I've noticed it in young children, I've noticed it in adults, our tendency is to say, Lord, help me swish this half-court shot. You know, fill in the blank. Lord, help me to get this gift. Lord, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll be real serious and I'll transition. Um, my father shared this with me a long time ago, that his mother, um, I, was, I was about four or five years old, his mother was dying. And he grew up in a family of ministers, and it seemed like, you know, from what I know of the story, people in his family, they were praying, you know, off and on for the the healing of my grandmother. And my father, just in his hurt, he, he said, and I think this was to my aunt, my great aunt, he said, you know, if God healed everyone, nobody would die. And I'm like, wow, what a, what a you know, a true statement that you don't want to hear when someone you love is going to leave this earth uh, in their body, they're going to die. And his his aunt uh, looked at him and said, Johnny, sometimes God's way of healing someone is allowing them to die. And I just bring that example, that real life example that is, um, boy, that was a, that was a sad little part of my childhood, but you see, one way you have saints who are praying for the physical healing of my grandmother, and she passed away. And in God's divine, sovereign way, in His zeal for His own glory, that was that was according to His will. And I think that's a really good example. And and that mentality that that brought me healing years later, when other close family members have died or things in life didn't work out the way I wanted to, is that. God's ways are wise, and sometimes um, He is answering our prayer through different means, through different methods, but it's always according to His will, for His glory, and it's always for our good. And so to bring it full circle on this point, they're undescribable, but the one or two true benefits that I would look at is the centrality of my need for Christ. I am confronted with that every time I write my prayer journal, or I bow my head, or I hold hands with my wife and my kids. And I say, Heavenly Father, you are good and do good. I am confessing that I have a way and a will, and I am submitting it to you. And sometimes it's going to be because I, I'm asking you specific things, and other, other ways it's going to be I'm petitioning that I know I have a will, but yours is better, and please transform my will to be yours. So uh, I don't know if you have anything to add there on the excellent benefits of prayer before we move <laughs> on, but... Well, I do think, um, so first of all, uh, I think when it comes to these kinds of things, we're talking about something that is is subjective and, and experiential, right? Because 
because we see prayers answered in the scriptures, but then talking about God's continued faithfulness in our lives, I think is necessarily subjective. Like I've seen the Lord work in your life. I've seen the Lord work in my life. And of course, this isn't, my life isn't other people's lives. So there's a degree of like, of like anecdotal, right? An anecdotal reality of the Mm -hmm. Lord's working in our life that we're trying to convey to people. I think that's encouraging what you're saying about your grandmother and your dad and like that's that's something that we need to be sharing and so to kind of uh add to that one of the benefits that i have appreciated one of the blessings i've appreciated is like my wife and i will pray very honest very real prayers in the hearing of our children where we need the lord's help where we are weak as 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 grown adult, like so, our kids are looking to us as being these strong, or hopefully looking to us as being these strong people, <clears throat> and we're saying we can't do this, right? So you know, recently uh, I was in between jobs, out of a job, and living off savings for a little while, and and I'm like, man, what on earth am I going to do? Like, I can't control people and make them give me work. So I'm, I'm, you know, we're in family worship, and I'm praying in front of all four of my children, you know, sincere humbling prayers i need the lord and so and so my kids are looking at me going wow this this guy he's really not strong in and of himself he really needs the lord's strength to the point where my you know my seven-year-old he's like you know daddy are you are you gonna get a job i'm like i I don't know i don't know no that's that's dad dad yeah you're right are you gonna it's just it's in there it's in it's in the brain I'm (laughs) i'm not used to it yet you know uh, and then when I get the job, I go pray, buddy, the Lord blessed, the Lord answered our prayer. This is an mm-hmm. amazing thing. Um, and so that's one of the blessings I think also is we can show to our children, our weakness and God's, God's blessed strength in the midst of those, of those prayers being either answered or, or answered the way that we'd like them to be, or answered the way mm-hmm. we <laughs> didn't expect them to be. Yeah. So, and that's one more plug for a prayer journal. Because yeah. I can open up to May of four years ago and and see where I was and, you know, man, and God's unsearchable faithfulness to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, Nick, uh, thank you for sharing that. And we we share that to glorify God. The way he does or does not answer prayers uh, according to the way we envision when we ask, it's his prerogative. And it's always for uh, the believer's good, and I think we we remember that when we reflect on on those prayer journals and things like that. So, thank you for sharing that, Nick. We're going to transition to the next part here, yeah, which is being taught to pray here in the uh, first paragraph. You want to go yeah. ahead and transition yep. there? Uh, okay. So, so it said they continue. They say this this is the means whereby, in a special way, one communes with God and is properly prepared for the Christian life. This is something that I think is. Christians need to wrap their minds around this. The Christian life is not is not an easy chocolate puppy dogs and rainbow kisses, right? This is a life of suffering. All who wish to live godly lives will suffer. This is not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. And that isn't that shouldn't be something discouraging because we know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He suffered Himself, died, and was raised again in righteousness. And so, if we are to be raised in in a resurrection like his we also need to die and suffer like he did 
And so when this says, and properly prepared for the Christian life, the whole point of all this is our conformity to the Lord. And so as we're being prepared for the Christian life, we are learning to suffer well, to to worship well. We're learning to die well, right? And, <laughs> and all this is wrapped up in this Christian life, being prepared for this. And that isn't morbid, right? That isn't, that isn't sad. That is a glorious thing. We live in a world that is full of darkness and hates Christianity. And this is being brought to bear in our generation now clearer more than ever. Really, when we're, when I'm in the living room and I'm sitting on the floor reading my little children's Bible and praying and singing psalms with my children, I'm not just, I'm not doing, doing, just doing something that's cute and, you know, fun. I am preparing my children for what, for a life of faithfulness to the Lord that will bring upon them the greatest blessing possible in their hearts, souls, and minds, but also a life full of difficulty because of the world's hatred for Christ, okay? And for some people, that's a difficult thing to grapple with. But for those who know the Lord, love him, trust his word, that is the thing that we fully expect and are eager are in our eager to experience. I think of the apostles when they leave at the beginning of Acts after having been um, told to no longer proclaim uh, the glories of Christ. They left. They left that that court rejoicing, being counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. And I mean, and really, that's a radical mindset. Who's thinking that these days? Certainly not me all the time. Maybe hardly ever. But I want to think that way. I want my children to think that way. And and I pray that when the time comes, because it will come, that the Lord will strengthen me to think that way. But so as we pray, as we as we bring our children before the Lord, teach them to go before the Lord, we are teaching them to have a relationship with God, to commune with Him, to talk to Him. Oftentimes I tell my kids, like, you're talking to me right now. And you can, and, and in the same way that you talk to me, you can talk to the Lord. That, you know, that's how you have a relationship with him. But in addition to that, I forget who said this. Obviously, it was some Puritan, which is where, you know, a lot of good things come from. But when we, it might have been, it might have been Henry, Matthew Henry. When we train our children to be faithful now, right, before they've confessed faith, before they've, you know, before they've, you know, made this public confession of faith that indicates them to be true, sincere believers. What we're doing is we're laying a bed of kindling, right? We're laying a bed of of very fine wood and that that with a spark can be lit ablaze. And the more we lay, the bigger this fire will be when the Spirit of God sparks this. And so we want to produce in them this bed, this this coal bed, this this kindling bed of that's ready to just be engulfed by the spark of the spirit when it when he blows in in their hearts and when the light turns on they'll go i'm ready <laughs> i'm ready to to i'm ready to combat the darkness of this world the and in our day that looks like them standing firm in the face of of transgenderism crt blm uh woke gospel social gospel this looks like them being learning and knowing how to stand against all the heresies of this of this age of this day which are directly opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ which is what we need we need strong men and women in the lord 
for subsequent generations to prosper. And that, that happens, that starts on the floors of living rooms with little children praying to the Lord together. That's, that's, where, that's where these mighty, valiant warriors for Christ are made. <laughs> this, is, this is all in, encapsulated in this first paragraph here. What do you got to say, John? For time's sake. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that what you had mentioned, there's certainly a, a cultural perspective. And what I'm trying to keep in mind is when I look at the, the internet traffic on uh, our website mm-hmm. at reformconfess.com, it's very humbling because there are individuals from six continents mm-hmm. that regularly are, are coming on, whether it's through social media or a Google search. And so I can't speak for everyone's culture who may hear this, but when I compare when I, when I compare what we see in the book of Exodus all the way to the gospel of Luke, and I think of the, the incense in Exodus chapter 30, the Lord had commanded Aaron to mix and burn the incense, and this is called the hour of prayer. And I think about Zechariah, the priest, John the Baptist's father, when he goes into the temple at the hour of incense, where were the Jews? They were outside the temple, and they were praying, and it was the hour of prayer. And there's and and it's very much commanded in Exodus thirty: you shall do this morning, and at twilight. And later, Paul uh, takes that that Jewish mentality, and he says a, a phrase that we like to quote: "Pray without ceasing." Hmm. And that's literally what the culture of Israel was. And when I compare that to where we are and where we are raised. It's not embedded and inundated into our culture. And I would say if you you survey this into most households, that we will be a people of prayer both morning and at night. And one of my favorite prayers in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 9. It's a prayer of intercession. He recognizes the national sin of Israel. And that's actually, I would encourage anybody to do that. If you want to know the context of the highly quoted Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, Uh, verses 10 and 11, Daniel, knowing that prophecy and knowing that the time has come, he launches into a prayer for a sinful people. And I think that where I personally find myself, Nick, what you were just talking about, we can look at Daniel's example and we can come before our Lord and petition him as well. And where we have authority as men of God, looking back to the example in, in Exodus 30, I think I'm going to read that real fast, that passage. Exodus 30, the establishment of the burning of incense for the time of prayer. In Psalm 141, verse 2, David knew that. He says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And then you see that actually happening in Luke chapter 1. If we can start in our home and follow this example of we're going to be people of prayer, my hope would be that by the time that you and I uh, are are in the grave, that it might not be spread like fire throughout the nations, but within God's people, within God's covenant people, that there is a mentality of daily prayer, of prayer without ceasing, and as you had said, to endure temptation and to confront heresy. It's where our strength comes from. But on this little point right here in Exodus chapter 7, and my point in making this is is when you read your Bible, they were in a culture 
it was a prayer. It was a, a praying culture, and I and we don't experience that. So, and hopefully we are experiencing that within our home and certainly within our church. So it says, um, picking up in Exodus chapter thirty, verses seven and eight, it says, "And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it." That's the altar of incense. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generation. It is most holy to the Lord. I guess we could call it motif of incense throughout the Bible, as in Exodus and Psalm and Luke. Then you fast forward to Revelation chapter 5, I think it's verse 8 or 9. When you see the throne in heaven, the throne of God, it likens the prayers of God's people to incense burning before the Lord. It's a pleasing aroma to Him. And so there is a direct line from our Bible, from the front to the back, that God's people ought to be characterized by prayer. And this this was foundational to the giving of the law, the Mosaic law. And this is, according to Revelation, this is exactly what the people ought to be continuing in. And again, specifically what you said, although our culture, this may not be something that people are raised up with from the time they're young, like we see in the Jewish culture. This is something that we are challenging men of God. We're challenging women of God. We're challenging you to whatever is external to your home, that your home would be a, a little house of prayer. Wherever God has given you a key and a doorknob to unlock, that that would be characterized as a place of prayer. And that hopefully your marriage and your children would come to know nothing different and would pass that down for generations, just like we have that example of what I think the Jews did there. So Nick, with that, I'll kind of segue into the head of the household responsibility. And this is where we'll, we'll mm-hmm. kind of uh, land the plane today, the last sentence of the first paragraph. It says, But it is also the duty of the head of every family to take care that both they themselves and those in their care are diligent in this practice every day. Wow. So, Nick, when you hear that charge, what's going through your mind here? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm thinking when I when I read something like that is that I need to be, well, you said it earlier, intentional. And I think I think the whole paragraph culminates in this. Everything in the in the everything that precedes this in the paragraph will happen if this last sentence is being heeded. Because it is the duty of every head of the family to take good care that both they themselves and those in their care are diligent in this practice every day. Right. I'm not an authoritarian over my family, leading with a whip and commands. I'm somebody who in in attempting to emulate Christ, wants to be a servant to these people and <clears throat> exemplify this, which I do not do perfectly, which is why I point them to Christ. But I want to be, you know, encouraging my children when they pray, being like, wow, what did you say? Or, you know, what did you, what did you, what did you pray for? What did, did the Lord answer your prayer? And also part of our discipline when our children have stubborn hearts of, of complaining or grumbling, part of the discipline is 
we, we send them to their rooms to think about this. We, tell, we, we instruct them and we tell them, hey, this is what you did. This is why this is sinful. What you need to do is go ask the Lord to change your heart. And so part of our discipline, and that might seem counter, counterintuitive. Well, aren't you training them to hate prayer? No, what I'm training them to do is to go to the Lord with their sin on their own and ask him to remove it from them. When I read this, I think I need to daily... I need to daily ask the Lord to help me because I am weak. I do not remember what to do. I am selfish. I am tired and I don't want to do this. But I'm but this reminds me that it isn't just all on my wife, right? She stays home all day, but it's not all on her. It's actually all on me. And I delegate this to her and she part she she I, my heart trusts in her. She does the best that she can while I'm away. And then when I come home, uh, you know, she, she's then reliant upon me. You know, Nick, do this. And then set me on a good path for the next day so I can do it again. Um, there's a lot of responsibility. There's a, lot, there's a big burden. But Christ has put that burden squarely upon me and all men who lead their homes. There, there is a sense of inadequacy. And I think that's I think that's a good thing to to sense and to feel because recognizing that inadequacy will compel us to drive further into the heart of Christ, see how to be gentle and lowly, will will drive us further into his arms so that we can then give to our children this bread that we've also received from him, which again, I don't do perfectly, even near to perfect. <laughs> even <laughs> I can't even see perfect it's so far away. It makes me want so badly to do this for my family and for the sake of Christ. I want this more than anything. I want to be the man that that my family, right, who whoever else does is no concern of mine, nor could I control it, but I want my wife and children to say, my husband, my dad, he he showed us Christ. He led us well. Like that's, I mean, <laughs> you know, aside from hearing good, uh, well done, good and faithful servant, that's something that I want to hear my family say or would like them to say in their hearts more than anything. Let me ask you a question. When you got married and uh, eventually when you had a child, was did you also have that same desire you just expressed? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we want to encourage folks that, uh, and I've been able to have a front row seat to the Lord faithfully and patiently grooming your heart to be yeah. able to say that in clear conscience, that that's, you know, your, uh, one of your chief desires that when, you breathe your last breath, and and that's because, uh, and and what we want to encourage is we're not saying that we want to do this just because it's written in the directory for family worship, but because this is our charge from God as the head of the household. And I want to speak to you really quickly. I acknowledge that people's situations are mm-hmm. different, and there may be someone listening that you're a woman and you are the head of the household for whatever circumstance that is. And we want to encourage you to en- engage in these things and and pray and teach your kids to pray and and know that although it may seem lonely, and it is, and it feels lonely, that the Lord is with you, the Lord is faithful, His Holy Spirit indwells you, His Word does not return void, and you might feel like you're doing it alone, but when you're doing it for the glory of God, I really will say, and especially in this topic, you are not doing it alone. The Lord, you're planting and watering, and the Lord 
he gives the increase and he does it when he wants and, and for his glory. So, you know, with what you had stated there, Nick, I wanted to read one more small passage yeah, man. Absolutely. before I hand it back to you and you can kind of close us out. But I've been reading Colossians a lot lately and for a couple years going back, I, I think the thesis statement of Colossians is in chapter one, verses nine and 10. The mission for Paul is that the people would have spiritual wisdom and knowledge and that knowledge would lead to living a life fully pleasing to God. So he wants them to know so that they live what they know according to spiritual knowledge. And that application of the, the spiritual wisdom is pleasing to God. So, hey, I'm teaching you so that you learn, not so that you're an intellectual juggernaut in and of itself, but so that you know what God requires of you and then you would do it. And that would be pleasing to God. But here's what he says. And if you don't know... We're talking, we've talked a lot about how your children can pray, but now I just want to say how you should pray for your children, your spouse and your children. And I think Paul lays this out for us well. He says, and so, in verse 9, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And what is he praying? And so, first of all, you see a commitment to prayer, a perpetuity. Literally, he is practicing what he preaches. He's not ceasing to pray for these believers. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And it is our duty as men of God, as much as we can influence, that we would contribute to the filling with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and to our children. And like you said, that... One day, when there is a profession of faith and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God sets ablaze the hard work and the countless hours of restlessness yeah. and inattentiveness, and, and He redeems those moments in the salvation of our children. So that's what I have today. I hope that uh, something you've said, I think today, if, if I could just assess on the spot, I hope that there's been some really practical, tangible things you can take away, as, as much as theoretically we've talked about it. Grabbing these scriptures, what it looks like to train your child, what it looks like to pray without ceasing, what it looks like to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. We hope that we've given you through sharing, you know, some of the things we shared anecdotally weren't to weren't to do anything but to just show you how scripture is applicable and how we can utilize that for the glory of God within our home. And with that, Philippians four six, four four through six, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's it for the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that this has been edifying to you and that you uh, have learned some things, some theoretical things, but also some practical things like John just said. Um, the Bible is immensely practical, sufficient for everything. Uh, so we, it is our prayer that that would um, be what you take away from this. If you would like to learn more about this podcast, go to reformconfess.com. You can follow us on social media, on all those places at Reform Confess. At our website, read our blogs, listen to our podcasts. Uh, you can ask us questions, check out the store. Anything else you want to know there is about us is all on that website. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star review. And until then, go out and glorify the Lord.